Hello and welcome to The Spectator's Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and the Trump presidency in 2017. I'm Freddie Gray and I'm deputy editor of The Spectator. And today we're going to be doing an excerpt from The Spectator's main podcast. I'm joined by The Spectator's deputy editor, Freddie Gray, and the BBC's Paul Wood, who are currently both in Washington, and by Kate Andrews, a Republican commentator here in London. So, Freddie, does Trump understand the EU or Brexit or his attitudes towards him just dictated by a kind of brash ignorance? Um, I don't know. I think I think it's I've given up speculating on the inner workings of Trump's mind. I think they're one of the great mysteries of our time. I think what's certain is he has an instinctive dislike of the EU. It stems largely from the fact that EU red tape stopped him from developing his golf course at Doombeg in Ireland. And I think he has an instinctive sense that Brexit is a bit like a sort of British version of Braveheart, a wild populist act that is very much in tune with him. He thinks that Brexit was the sort of hors d'oeuvre for the main course, which is Donald Trump. And why has there been this special relationship historically? Kate, as an American in the UK, what is it about the two nations that's so harmonious? Well, I think that the war times that they've experienced together have obviously created that very deep bond, but also similarities in terms of culture, in terms of values, in terms of respect for human rights, and really being at the forefront of democracy over hundreds and hundreds of years. These two countries have a lot in common and a lot that they want to stick up for. I know there have been a lot of accusations against President Obama for not respecting the special relationship in the same way that previous presidents have. I think that's slightly unfair to the president. I mean, he was very close to David Cameron, perhaps with his own political agenda, and no doubt the fact that he would have personally benefited from the UK staying in the EU, which led him to come over to the UK at that time. But Donald Trump is also reaching out to the UK, I think, for very personal reasons. As somebody who wants to be more protectionist and wants to crack down on America's trade relationships with China, Japan, and maybe even Mexico, he's going to need to look like he's pro-free trade in some respect, and using the UK in that way to get a trade deal could be very, very good for him. Freddie, you've written about Obama's attitude towards the special relationship over the past few years. Do you agree with that assessment by Kate? Yeah, well, I think she's quite right. He got on with Cameron. But I think Obama just wasn't really into the special relationship. And I think that's almost to his credit. The, the, the sort of love of the special relationship in the Bush years was mad almost. And Churchill was invoked every time the Iraq war needed to be justified. And I think Obama certainly felt distant from that and wanted to distance himself and his administration from it. I mean, there's this ongoing saga, slightly ridiculous saga of the bust of Winston Churchill that was in the Oval Office for George W. Bush and Obama took it out. And this was seen as a great slight by Atlanticists and sort of misty-eyed Churchillians. But Trump has um, shrewdly, and I think on the advice of Nigel Farage, already said he's going to put the bust back so all those Churchillians can, can sleep easy. Paul, do you think Trump is sleeping easy this week, given that it's not just the inauguration that we're talking about this week, we're also talking about impeachment? I think Trump has been sleeping easily his whole life. This is a man with a rock-hard, almost granite carapace, who is not phased by anything. He has the personality of a bull and charges through whatever obstacles there may be. People who have a rational fear of what may come next, I think, would be quaking in their boots. There is now an inquiry by a Senate Intelligence Committee looking not only at Russian hacking, but at links, supposed links, if they exist, between people in political campaigns and the Russian security services. Let's be quite clear. If there was any coordination by Mr Trump's campaign staff or his friends to hack the US presidential election, 
There is a word for that, and that word is treason, one of the high crimes and misdemeanours set out in the Constitution as the most important grounds for impeachment. We're at the beginning of a long chain of ifs. If these meetings took place, if they can be proved, it takes two witnesses, according to the Constitution, to prove treason. If there were discussions about election tactics, if Mr Trump knew, we're back to what did the president know and when did he know it? So it's a long, long road. Democrats in the House are being very cautious about public talk of impeachment for tactical reasons. But a lot of them are thinking and a lot of them are thinking about how to win over Republicans because there is a Republican majority in Congress. Republicans who might start to push this forward. And everybody is looking at the example of Watergate when Republicans deserted President Nixon. Kate, do you think that the example of Watergate is a good parallel for for the situation we find ourselves in at the moment? If the accusations against Donald Trump and his team members specifically, as, as was noted, that they were working with any kind of Russian intelligence to hack the election turns out to be true, then yes, it certainly is a good comparison. However, we don't have any substantiated evidence for this yet. Far be it for me to defend Donald Trump, it's not something I'm used to, but I think that it was a huge mistake on the part of BuzzFeed to publish that dossier. I think that if journalists are very serious about taking on Trump, many of them don't like him, let's be honest, they need to be publishing evidence. They need to be publishing the facts. And I think that if anything, now Donald Trump is in a much better position in the future to turn around and say, well, those claims weren't substantiated. These ones aren't true either. There's no doubt that he has many skeletons in his closet and they will be coming out over the course of the next four years. But we need to know what's true and what's not. And that's already getting muddled. He isn't even the president yet. And Paul, is it more the case that it could be Trump's businesses that are going to cause him the greatest problems when he's in the White House? Well, in Article 1 of the Constitution, there's a thing called the Emoluments Clause, which says you can't get any gifts from foreign governments unless there is specific approval by Congress. So a lot of Mr Trump's opponents are pinning their hopes on this clause rather than any supposed sexual escapades in a Moscow hotel. What if, for instance, diplomats book out the Trump Hotel in Washington? What if a Chinese bank buys a whole floor of Trump Tower? What if there's an advantageous deal somewhere in his empire? Now, he said his sons are running things and therefore it's all in a trust. But a blind trust is very specifically defined in federal law. It's what other presidents have had and certainly Mr Trump's arrangements do not amount to that. When you're looking at these allegations that essentially Trump is being blackmailed by the Russians, a lot of news organisations, including my own, had these documents before the election. And as we were hearing, for very good reasons, you don't publish unsubstantiated allegations. But this did become a story when they were briefed to President Obama, to the congressional leadership and to Mr Trump himself by the intelligence community. That's when CNN ran with it. And I think they were right to run with it. There is one interpretation of this, bringing it back to the money, and that is it's provocatia, a provocation by the Russian intelligence services, saying something so outrageous which can't be proved and which may even be disproven in order to distract from something else. This is an interpretation I've had from several in the intelligence community. What could that something else be? It could be the money. Again, not proven yet, but it's one theory about what we're seeing now. How likely do you think that is, Freddie? Well, I think the, the, it's, it's very likely, I think, that there'll be a lot of fin- accusations of financial impropriety during the Trump administration and about Trump in Trump's campaign. I think that's almost inevitable. The thing about Trump, though, is, I mean, forget Teflon, man. He's completely impervious to criticism or, or indeed damaging truths. So I, I think the the question is not actually necessarily will the allegations come. They will. It's who can actually make them stick and who can damage President Trump in a significant way. Just moving on to his international 
relationships. We talked about his attitude towards the EU. In terms of the comments that have been made so far and the reports of America being very keen for a trade deal to be pencilled in for as soon as the UK leaves the European Union, Kate, what do you make of those reports? Do you think this is actually the attitude of the Trump administration? I think it is. One of his messages throughout the campaign was that the U.S. had a big trade deficit. This was very misleading because many of the imports coming to the States were hugely beneficial for American consumers. But one of the unique things about the U.K. is that it imports roughly as much from the U.S. as it exports. And they're pretty much 50-50 here. So for Donald Trump, the U.K. could be that excellent example that he wants to set to the rest of the world of the kind of trade deal he's looking for. I'm not totally convinced that that always is going to be in the best interest of the American consumer and certainly not in the best interest of global trade, but I do think he'll want to set that precedent. Whether or not he can do it within weeks, as he suggested, or six months, there's a big question mark around that. I know that there's been some skepticism here in the UK, especially amongst labor, that being outside of the European Union, the UK could get the bad end of the stick or the bad end of the deal if they're negotiating on their own with the United States. So it could take a little bit more time than six months. Uh, And could the UK getting the, the bad end of the deal be what actually attracts the Trump administration so much to this trade deal, Freddie, that actually they could, they could benefit from the UK's potential weakness on this? I think in the, in the superficial sense that Trump and Jared Kushner have talked about this, I think they see just an opportunity for, for a great deal. They like to think of themselves as deal makers, and they think a deal between Britain and America could be a good two-way street. As for the Republicans in Congress, and, and, and the Democrats in Congress indeed, because Congress must approve any trade agreement between Britain and America, they seem to think that uh, this could also be a good thing. It's, it, I mean, I think of, of all the trade deals that Trump could strike, I'm told that this is the most likely to have the most wind behind it. And Paul, one of the obstacles that's being suggested to Trump agreeing a trade deal or indeed anything else is that the CIA could assassinate him, according to uh, one conspiracy theory website. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? Yeah, let's specify right now, in case anybody's listening, that this is... Infowars talking about this and not the Spectators podcast or anybody here. <laughs> Thanks for that. Excellent. So, I don't know, I'm, I'm pretty hot on the theory too, actually. <laughs> you have to realise that there's a whole dark corner of, of the internet and of talk radio inhabited by Trump supporters from which he draws succour. Occasionally he seems to draw inspiration as when he, for instance, tweeted that Ted Cruz's father had been part of the Kennedy assassination. So if you start dipping a toe into this world, you're, you're pretty soon overtaken by madness. And the lead story on Infowars the day before yesterday and yesterday was this idea that the deep state was about to strike back at Mr. Trump in the way it said it struck at Mr. Kennedy, President Kennedy, when he was assassinated. Alex Jones, big personality, familiar, I'm sure, to many podcast listeners, was broadcasting on this, saying that he had, quote-unquote, a high-level source in CNN, well, actually a CNN consultant, and a mid-level source in ABC, that these two networks were prepping, as they'd done in the Gulf War, for a national emergency, some kind of military coup. Further to that, the, quote-unquote, Soros cells, whatever they might be, were being activated, and this would all end with 50 million Americans in a re-education camp. As part of all this, there was the idea that the deep state, the CIA, and other bits of the military-industrial complex were trying to make a national emergency, confect a national emergency, question whether Trump was a Russian agent, and have a military coup. On the same page that this audio interview was being played was this statement, will the CIA assassinate Trump? 
The important thing is that a lot of this is absolutely believed by his supporters. You start talking to some of his more nutty supporters. I met a lady up in New Hampshire who had bought a 38 for herself and a 45 for her 82-year-old mother because a Muslim family had moved in down the road. She had 10 years' worth of food supplies in her basement, waiting for everything to fall apart after President Obama left office. This is Mr Trump's constituency. And Paul, you say this is in the corners of the internet, but given Trump feeds off it and given he sometimes endorses some of these groups, it it seems like the madness has come to Washington DC as well. Well, as I said in my piece in the magazine, there's a certain hallucinatory quality to a lot of conversations you have now. Impeachment may be in the outer bounds of possibility, but it's not a fantastical idea. But I was at a cocktail party, not full of right-wing InfoWars subscribers, but full of left-wing national security intellectuals. Two people at that party came up to me quite spontaneously and said, you know, there's going to be a military coup if Trump is elected, tanks on the White House lawn. So it's all very strange, and I think we overuse that word unprecedented about Mr Trump. He's been doing unprecedented things throughout the campaign, And now, in the week of his inauguration, we're having unprecedented conversations about what it might all mean. That was Freddie Gray, Paul Wood and Kate Andrews. (laughs) 